welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Taylor and Kevin Kinney, how are you? Good. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere in Shreveport, Alabama. Miss, uh, uh, where am I? Louisiana. Louisiana. <laughs> your I'm first day of your tour. It's right? the first day of my tour with Amy Ray. Yep. And uh, we've got everything but the lamp because I usually bring a, I put a, I usually buy a lamp for every tour and then I write think about on it. And then, um, so we're, we're in, we're in search of the lamp right now. <laughs> That's great. I, and, and anybody doesn't know, Kevin is always from Driving and Crying, which I've heard and been listening to for a good part of my life. And um, I want to talk about your new album. I just want to say when I first met, was introduced to you and your music. And I got to say, I went to college, I'm up in New England, but I went to college in 8990 in Atlanta, uh, Art Institute for Music. I don't think it's around anymore, I don't think. Um, but I don't know where I saw you guys play. It was, I think it was before Flavi came out, and you guys were just so good. And I saw you guys in a club. I don't. I can't remember which club it was at this point, you know, Cotton Club. I don't even know. It's been so long. Probably, was Cotton, probably Cotton Club. That was our home for in the early 90s, yeah. late 80s. I was touched by how great you guys were and I fell in love ever since. And and being a fan of music and and and, and diversity and people in the show know I love all types of music. So some of my favorite bands are like you where so much different stuff going on in your albums. Um which is great. And and, and I know like you you've had on your soul stuff, you go a little more folkier, which is really cool. And kinda of brings up to where we are right now. Let's talk about this this album. About think about it. Well, um, uh oh, are you still there? I'm not going anywhere. You froze okay, for a minute. Wait. Okay, uh, something happened to my phone. Wait. All right. Wait. Are you there? Yeah. Yep. Oh, there we are. Okay, and sorry. action. I'm in my I'm in my car. <laughs> um, well, you know, the, the folk thing for drive for me is, uh, you know, when I when I left Milwaukee, I had a punk rock band, and then I had like a, I I saw. Late in like right the re-release of Don't Look Back by Bob Dylan came mm-hmm. out. Like it came out in the theaters, like in the in the er, early eighties, like eighty one or something like that. And it blew me away because I wasn't really into I wasn't really dialed into folk music. I, you know, I like rockabilly and things like that. Right. And and uh, you know, uh doo wop and things like that. But then when I saw that I was like, Oh god, he's like that guy's a punk, you know. And um Yeah. So I started trying to write acoustic songs and it was a disaster. It's, it was really hard to figure it out. To, so I'd been write, so used to writing angry, or not really angry songs, but just quasi-political, punk rocky, what I don't know, uh, kind of songs. And then, uh, you know, and then um, I was really, I was, I moved down south and worked at the sewage plant and, and listened to Don't Look Back and and then I mean I listened to um uh, uh times are changing, and then I kind of listened to Dylan chronologically, you know, like I kind of wait. I did I didn't listen to it all at once. I listened to it in order, you know, as it went on, and uh, and so I really fell in love with this. You know, watching him play a a, a song with just you know just leaning on the words. I thought, well, that's really hard. That's really a a really Talk about a crossword puzzle and like trying to figure that out is not easy. Um, and so I, I I was really warming up to that, about to explore that in Atlanta. You know, I started doing open mic nights and things like that. 
And then I did this show with Dyke Kreutzen, my friends in that this punk rock band that Kreutzen and Tim saw me. And so I started, Tim recruited me to like start a rock and roll band with him. So that's where Driver Cry came in. But I was really kind of torn because I didn't want to abandon this like acoustic thing. So I incorporated it into Driver and Cry. And, and what happened was I wound up with, you know, 10 rock and roll songs and 10 folk songs. And then, so like two of the folk songs would make it onto a driving crying record, and then I'd have eight left over. And then the next record, I'd have eight rock songs and eight folk songs, and two of the folk songs would make it on the record. And then, so I had six left over. So I wound up with like 25, 30 folk songs that weren't really good for driving crying. And that's where Peter Buck stepped in and, 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 and kind of kickstarted my folk career with the McDougal Blues record. And, and so I've kind of had a, a, um, a schizophrenic, you know, <laughs> kind of bipolar kind of world since then. Uh, but so I went back to Athens for this record and used David Barbie, who was an engineer at, at John Kane studio. Peter, I started off with Peter Buck and me uh, at the from the get go. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, and then I had my friend Colonel Bruce Hampton's rhythm section, who I really wanted to use, and I wanted to do something a little bit different uh, as far as like stand up bass and stuff like that. So um, I thought this would be cool. I haven't really done a stand up bass record, so we did half of that, and then COVID hit, and I was like, oh no. So side one of the new record is me, Colonel Bruce Hampton's. Uh, bass player and Kevin Scott and, and Darren Stanley, his rhythm section, and then Peter Buck doing some Ebo and some, some really cool 12 string and Ebo and stuff like that. And my brother's on it. And then Lauer Jometz from Driving and Crying is just the, the one of the shining stars. He's such a great musician. He's beyond, beyond. I don't know where this, I, I, I he's 30 years old or something, but I, he, I, I, you know, if you told if you told me he played with Elvis, I would believe him. He's <laughs> such an old soul, and he's so, yeah. so, I, I can't even believe when I watch see him watch him on stage. Like I'm in his band. Like, where did this guy come <laughs> from? Jesus Christ! Uh, but he works really, really hard. He practices constantly. He's constantly rebuilding his guitars. He's so it's 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 inspiring to me. You know, working with Sadler Vaden and. Aaron Lee Tashin and Warner. Ha- I mean, I've I've had some great guitar players. You know, I've been honored to play with. You know, and Peter Buck is, you know, he's like Jimmy Page. You know, he's come up with some amazing classic guitar riffs. Like, if you just played the first, you know, thirty seconds of dozens of REM songs, it's it's, it's mind blowing. You know, I I don't know if he wrote all of them. I I'm assuming he did, but but you know, REM's a very is a mystery to me. You know. You know, you know, by design, they're supposed to be right. a mystery, and um, they are. Yeah, the fact that he's not playing out bigger right now is actually a, another crime unto its own. That the Peter is mm-hmm. bigger known in guitar circles to me. You yeah, know? he should be top ten guitar players. That people are still talking. Period. I mean, oh, that guy. You know, I know. I'm 52. I know. I know yeah. how awesome he is. I love REM. I, I, I was in Atlanta. Right. It was, you know, I was all you guys. So I was like, yes. Yeah, but nowadays people are like, "Who?" I'm like, "Are what are you? Do they have that song?" I'm like, "You kid me, right?" 
yeah. that's one of the best pop songs ever. And it is pop yeah, sensibility I mean, we, song. We did the and, we did the Chronic Tone uh, celebration for them. You know, with Black Crows helped put you know did were the champions behind it. Yeah, and, I don't know. Did you hear about that Chronic Town thing we did with? Uh, with if you Chris can actually go into that, yeah, please go into What's that? details. If you can actually go into details, I only heard a little bit about it. We could share a little more in detail. I'd like to hear more. Yeah, like Chris and Rich, they went. They had dinner with Peter in Portland, and then they called me up and were like, "Hey, what do you think if we do this Chronic Town 40th anniversary?" It's like, "Oh, has it been 40 years?" I'm like, yeah. I said, man, I'm in. If you're if you're if you're gonna help put it together, I'm in, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they like, yeah, let's call up these people and you know, I'll call Lenny Kay and we'll call, you know, uh Mitch Easter and we'll get, you know, it was so we had Fred Armisen and we had David Cross hosted and we had uh you know, we had uh the guys people from Pylon and we had uh oh, wow. we had Steve Wynn from the Dream Syndicate and we had uh we had the you know half the Patty Smith group, we had uh uh, David Ryan Harris. We it was just a stunning evening, and we did two nights, one at the forty watt and one, and then me and Chris, me and Chris Robinson did King of Birds together, which was really beautiful. And drummer Jeff Sullivan, the original Jeff Sullivan, drummer for Driver of Crime, who is originally from Mister Crow's Garden, yeah, who we stole. That was the first time Chris. And and Jeff had played together since we stole their drummer. <laughs> so that was, it was just a really great evening. And and but what I'm kind of getting at is like what you're saying is like we were doing it because nobody else was. Yeah. You know, we wish that the Lemon Twigs and the, all the LA band. I wish we wish they were doing it, or younger bands in Athens. Uh, you know, I wish they were doing it, but it wasn't like we were like there were 10 different chronic town tributes going on. I was like, there was nothing going to happen. And if it wasn't for rich Robinson and Chris to like kind of put it all together, it would have, there was, there would have been no celebration for it. So it was like, it was cool to be part of it, but you know, we were kind of hoping we were part, we were one of 10 different celebrations of it because it was a very important record. You know, it was as important as Zeppelin one in the South. You know, it was like the kudzu circuit was created with with that with that record. You know, the everything came from you know the DBs. It, uh, it kind of it kind of put the South on the on the on the on the on the radar, especially coming from the Midwest, where I had never really heard of any of these people. You yeah. know, until you know I got down here in eighty. 82 late 82 and you know i would uh i was already late to the party in 82 you know 83 or whatever whatever it was uh no i think it was 80 yeah 83 so yeah but anyway yeah it's it's you know it's stunning my granddaughter's 17 and i'm like yeah rem it's it's kind of like uh i don't know i was like oh no so you know so anyway, I'm I'm so honored to have, you know, a connection with with them. I I know I name drop them a lot because, but I just freaking love them, and I want people to remember how how special they are. And and so when I had Bill Berry played on one song on my record, you know, like so I and getting to my point, side two of my record yeah. is is the uh, I, I it was COVID, so 
David Barbie from Sugar and my producer played bass and the drummer was Brad Morgan from the tr Drive by Truckers. Except I had one song left and Brad couldn't do so we did uh uh this uh kind of like the finale of the of the record. It starts off with a song called Think About It and it ends with a song called Stop Look Listen Think About It. So it's kind of like a everything I do is kind of like try, I try to create a fake rock opera, you know. Uh, you know. You know, I just I try to have some sort of story arc at the last minute. I just move the chapters around and try to make it into something. But so, yeah, so Bill Berry came in, played on that one. And he did. How do you, you know, even but, find him? Isn't he like in Nova Scotia and witness relocation or something? No, he lives in Athens. On a, he, lives <laughs> on, he lives on a. In a <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. He's so, so quiet. He, like you haven't there. heard from him in me since I, I don't know. Well, I, I didn't know. know he was. I didn't know he was kind of back in the fold. But uh, my friend Mike Mantione kept telling me, like, I'm making a record with Bill Berry, you know. And so that oh, record's good. coming out this month uh, called "The Bad Ends," or it came out. It just came out. Mike Mantione from Five Eight and Bill Berry in a band together, doing every song. It's a great record. It's I'll on New it West Records. It's on New West. It just came out. Like, uh, I think it just came out. Uh, like. January twentieth or something like that, and so they're they're uh, they're Bill Berry isn't going to be there, but Mike the Bad Ends the band the other are opening for Driving and Crying at the Variety Playhouse coming up in a couple of weeks, so uh, oh, wow. that'll be cool. I was, but right right now I'm just uh, gonna do uh, six shows in a row right now with Amy Ray Band out here in uh, Dallas tonight, and then Austin tomorrow, and then Houston. And then the day off, and then Monday in uh, Tipitina's. And then there's a really cool place in Jackson, Mississippi called Dueling Hall in a cool mm -hmm. little neighborhood in Jackson that Jarvis Crime's been playing. And then have you ever been to Saturn in Birmingham? The Saturn, it's owned no. by the drummer from Manor Astro Man, I think. I don't know, but it's a, like the best venue, one of the best venues next to the 40 watt I've ever played at. Really great sound. Yeah hospitality and things like that. I haven't been to many clubs in Birmingham. It's mostly driven through. Yeah. There's a there's good music scene in Birmingham. There's a really good, there are a lot of good clubs, you know. It's um, always have been. You actually it, it kind of jumped into like what my question was. When I listened to the album, I'm like, man, it feels like two separate albums. It feels like you're starting off. It is. And and that's what I thought. It's two separate albums. And, and, and yeah. actually, you say you end with Stop, Look, and Listen, but actually, Never the Twain Shall Meet is really, as far as the line for digital media, is the last one. No, music is just you vocally stylizing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the, uh, that's a, uh, it's a, that's the encore. What's that all about? Yeah. Like, what was that, the thought behind that, to add that? Well, it was a, well, it's a, it was kind of an Irish, I, I used to do that. It, it's a lot better now that I've been doing it for a while. Uh, but it's a, yeah, it's a it's an acapella thing that I do uh, before Let's Go Dancing and Drive a Crying show sometimes, mm -hmm. and it it was kind of you know an Irish. I was trying to write a kind of a pogsy kind of Irish kind of uh, song. You know, my brother. You know, we're you know we're all Irish, and uh, uh, and uh, I just never really had a St. Patrick's Day song, so I thought I'm gonna write a St. Patrick's Day song. Uh, <laughs> And so I, but there's these really great, there's, if you Google it, it's like, you know, growing up on the Mississippi, like my grandfather grew up on the Mississippi and my father and my grandmother. 
And so we're all from that basin. You know, they, they moved to Milwaukee in the 40s or 50s. But uh, um, there's a there's there's a thing that happens when the Mississippi floods and the caskets come up uh, when the banks go when the when the Mississippi because the Mississippi isn't a, like people don't uh, don't remember. I mean, I, I think but the Mississippi is a big S. And right. so and so when it floods, the S is it all becomes one huge like lake, basically, you know. And so, in between there, if there's graveyards, the the cask if it sits long enough, the caskets can rise, and they gotta float down the river. So I kind of wanted to write this song about a guy that had never left his little town, and finally, and finally, <laughs> his you. casket floats to the surface, and he's like traveling down the Mississippi like he'd never done. So it's a story <laughs> about a guy traveling down the Mississippi in a uh, in a casket. <laughs> That needs to be like a video or the basic plot for a movie. That's just, you know. I, I'm so open funny. for offers. I'm open, is, I'm open to offers. That, that is a great plot. Um, but I think the <laughs> album itself is really, really fun, though, too. I mean, it, it breaks up. I, I actually noticed uh, track four, though, The Innocent, a little a little version of that in there. It was kind of a... Uh... Yeah, that's my brother on, on Vibes and Peter Buck on Ebo. And... I originally did a version of that with a saxophone and uh, I live with a, this woman, a poet, Lydia Lunch. And um, she was my roommate in, in uh, Brooklyn when I, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we did a version where she like did this really cool spoken word over it, but I couldn't, you know, obviously I couldn't find her for this, especially during COVID, but yeah. Um, yeah, I just reimagined the innocent. I kind of came up with that because I really, you know, I've, I've been doing things over the years where I do like I do a version of Scar but smarter. Yeah. On this record, I call Flower and the Knife. That's like a different version where you can hear the vocals. You know, I wanted to I wanted to reimagine some of my stuff uh, in a. You know, I don't want to be afraid to you know the words change the keep the words and change the music so i kind of like mm -hmm. doing stuff like that so yeah the innocent is kind of a version like that you know it's a, it, uh, a darker you know it's not like the other driver driver crime power is like you know empowering like get used to it you know don't right. don't worry move on you're gonna you're gonna get screwed but it's okay you know get you know we just move on we're, we're used to being screwed so it's cool uh and this is more of a like from the perspective of the woman down in the street since they're with her children weeping. This is like her just like sitting there, like just like despondent, like this is so screwed up. Like I can't, you know, I want you to want me. I want you to know what it is that I got here and what I'm looking for, you know. You know, so I want it to be a little more a little more sad, a little more introspective and scary. Like living on the street is freaking scary, you know. It's a not, you know, you know. There was, you know, I've had moments of my life where you know I had nowhere to go and sleeping in my car or whatever, and just sitting there, you know, watching the world go by, and it's you know, wondering, you know, where what do I do? Like, where do you go from zero? You know, where do you go from zero? <laughs> you try to, you know, 
and uh, you know, yeah. But that's kind of that perspective that version is kind of taken from. It's it's, it's not real fun to listen to. <laughs> it's a little bit sad and a little bit scary and a little bit uncomfortable. But I really, I loved what Peter did as far as just making some really despondent Ebo guitar in there. It's really really awesome. So dark. I, the first thing I thought of was like Blue Velvet with like Dennis Hopper breathing through a mask. I was hearing that that bass sound. Yeah. It just felt very dark and like like you just don't know yeah. what could be going on in the background type of thing. Not the actual movie, yeah. but that feeling when you first watch that movie, you're like, what is going on? It's just so yeah. feels so heavy, you know, in the air. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's beautiful. I mean, I'm really going to tell people, check this album out. It's just really, really, really fun. I dig it. Um, and in fact, you can go back and revisit it. And the talk I had recently with another artist, when an artist gets to redo their music, I know sometimes like labels put you in a spot where they won't give you your, your royalties or whatever. And an artist will go back and just redo it on something else, the same album, and so they can collect the money on it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But sometimes that artist, what they'll do is they'll take their hits, and when they redo it, they do it kind of different. Yeah. And that's kind of weird because it's not like being reimagined. Like you're doing this, you're kind of having fun with it. It's like redoing the song almost exactly, but then changing the chorus. It's like, it's like a fine line of how to redo your songs without. Like either really redo it and honor it differently, or you just shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think it always pops up when you when you were always doing stuff in your through the years when you guys do stuff. It really kind of still honors it and it reimagines it and it kind of takes it more on a journey because you're not covering yourself really. You're reinterpreting it. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I the only thing that makes you know, we, there's only a certain number of chords and, and 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 vocabulary that we use and mix and match the only thing that makes you special is your is what you're giving it and and i'm very emotional you know in what i do i really close my eyes and i imagine it and so it's a different emotion that's leading it instead of you know uh you know that's leading that you know leading it so you know i try to I try to, yeah, I try to not, I try to make it a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit. It just, it's just like I like, I like these books, you know. I like to keep the words, the the keeping the words the same to me is important because mm -hmm. I just really want it to be a three sixty viewpoint. There's this, there's this book that I I stumbled upon by this guy. I don't know if I'm saying the word right because I didn't go to college, but Nakeem Mafuse, I guess, might be his name. NAQ. But anyway, he had this really great book that I read um, about, you know, he wrote it in Alexandria and it's about this, uh, 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 like a murder in an apartment building. I don't, and, and how every tenant sees it differently. And everybody imagines the day totally differently. <laughs> and it was just a really cool, every chapter is like another tenant that saw the same thing and, Totally, nothing, none of them match. <laughs> and I thought that's a really cool uh, thing. concept. Yeah, you know, I thought that's kind of a neat perspective. Like we all saw the same thing, and everyone's story is different. You know, that's true. So you have ten. That's you have of, ten people do one of your songs. You can have ten ver different versions. If yeah, because they're bringing their own emotion to it. You know, my my wife Anna has been putting together a compilation that's coming out very soon. Of She's got over over 50, 60 versions of my songs recorded by other people. Oh, nice. And some of the versions are just amazing, you know. 
really great to see people reimagine some of this stuff and some people have really taken it to heart. And, uh, you know, I don't want, I don't want to spoil it, but I'll tell you one, one version that is there's that, I mean, there's a couple that really got me, but, uh, the Peter Holzapple does a version of this song called Midwestern blues. I do that is just so real. It's, it made me cry. It was so great, you know, so, but I wear my heart on my sleeve. I mean, I'm driving and crying. I'm, it's definitely real. Well, yeah. well, anybody that's on the documentary no, knows that, that you guys are real, you know. <laughs> I'm not afraid to cry on stage. Or No, no, I'm saying that the documentary showed you guys wear your heart on your sleeve. There's no, you guys are not pulling oh. any punches, you know. That, yeah, that was I great. Know. I loved I it. I thought it, it was a good, I think it was good for people to see, you know. Yeah, Healthy. I didn't, I, I only saw the documentary once and I was watching with my son at the premiere and, and uh, like towards the end, my son says to me, Hey man, does that singer guy does he live? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Let's keep watching. Oh sure. man, your, your son like rules. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, oh my god! Like I didn't know what to say when I first saw it. And I was like, but afterwards, I'm like, oh, I get it. It's so real. It's it's so driving and crying. It's perfect. But it, well, you know, this friend of mine did it. You know, he has a really popular radio show in Atlanta now, but. Before that, he was, you know, he had a really great perspective on like, he really wanted it to be like that. He was a big DJ in LA and had the morning zoo crew and all that stuff, whatever. And it was a big show in LA. And they came to Atlanta and didn't know who we were. And like, I did their show and I was so embarrassed. I was like, this is so, like, they don't know who I am. They're talking to me, like, driving, crying, like, yeah, and the name of your band is what? And uh, it seems like you're doing a gig in town. And I was like, these guys have no idea that this, I mean, yeah. we're not, but that's our little Hamlet. I was like, yeah, I'm like, she at least know who we are in our, in our town. Right. So well, you um, guys are established. You guys were, I mean, there's no denying that. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Especially in Atlanta. So, oh, God, yeah. so I didn't really get on with them very well. I was kind of like, don't, I don't want to do those guys again. I'm not into the zoo crew or whatever. So, uh, um, yeah. Uh, um, the uh um he, he wanted to do he eventually kind of you know saw us and started seeing us play and was like oh wow i didn't and kind of started listening he's a really good he's a huge music fan like we mm -hmm. talk all the time but it's always about like 10 years after or or uh blue oyster he loves blue oyster call for some he's just like why aren't they in the rock and roll of fame he's very very passionate about your cult this month, uh, but we have great time. He's a beetle nut. He, he stones. He's he reads everything, and he, we list. We just talk about music. We don't talk about politics or anything. And so I was really honored to have him. That movie is his perspective of what we are, and you know, people, anybody's welcome to make a movie about us if they want. I I'll give them my phone book. If they can talk to. <laughs> but once again, it wasn't like we're fighting off twelve different. I had this one friend of mine got really mad at me because he's like, why don't you let me do it? I was like, I never said you couldn't. You, you have to come, you know, I'm not seeking. I didn't ask anybody to make a documentary. Yeah. about us. I, If somebody said, I want to make a documentary about you. Is it cool? I talk to your friends. The answer is, and will be sure. Whatever you want. I don't, I'm cool yeah. with that. You know, I don't want to pay for it. No. <laughs> no, but it was an interesting thing. I want people to go back and, and that's, what's really great. You talk about like, you going into Bob Dylan and, and as a fan, I mean, there's still some stuff I haven't listened to. 
and I started listening to in the beginning. Um, but you know, life gets in the way. During my thirties and forties, where my access to listening to music was not as deep as it was. I've been going back again. But you hit every genre of music between you solo and you with a band, you know, and you guys do it well. It could be a Southern Rocky. But to me, you are. I feel like the, I like you guys because you guys folk punk with some good like rock riffs. Like I don't, I like the energy yeah. of that to me still. I don't want to label you, but I mean, to me, it feels like it feels much more authentic. Like it's because you haven't changed at all. Your your yeah. songs and craft has gotten good, but your songs have always been good. It's never been a question about the quality. Your voice you have a signature voice that has such emotion in it and depending on how you sing it it can be fire or it can be sadness it just yeah. ever so slightly you've mastered that with your voice and that's part of the power of your songs well thank I, you as a fan, I, I mean, you know I, if i had an option to have a guitar player in my early days that was a great singer i probably would have Everybody like, would have done that. I but I mean, you first started like, singing, I though. My I, know, I hate my first, voice, but when you when you first started singing, though, were, were you like everybody probably goes, "That's not the standard rock voice." No, it's freaking <laughs> better. Like your voice is so well, different. I, so know, I thought I so sounded like Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. You don't sound like Mick Jagger like, to me. No. no, I don't. I don't <laughs> sound like Mick Jagger at all. But I thought I did. I mean, when I was, you know, before I heard. Before I ever heard the recordings, you know, and then right. the first yeah. time you get the recordings, you're like, "Oh my god, that's not me!" No. But like, yeah, it is. I'm like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> no, some people sound have a higher voice that doesn't sound as good. It's like there's something about your voice which is it's beautiful. It's like it's just like it goes well, on either way, and you just you have a display in perfect. You won the lottery on that, you know, and. <laughs> It could have well, gone any way with you singing it, like because you could have been like, "Oh, I don't sound like all the other rocker guys." No, you don't. Yeah, and that's what helped you kind of cut to the to the swath of musicians back then. Well, I bet I think what some of my favorite singers like are have some unique. Like, I love Jimmy Dale Gilmore, but it's a it's you know he's got that he you know, and Dylan of course was like, right. uh, you know, I I'm not trying to sound like Dylan definitely, but definitely yeah. the Midwestern. You know, but I think a lot of my style came from bad PAs, you know, like growing up in the 70s and the 80s and like no monitors. So I kind of through guitar amps, this... right? Huh? Singing through guitar amps, plugging your microphone yeah. to a guitar amp that's all you had. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> had to come up with a, um, a, a, a tone that would cut through, you know, like I think the PAs were really good. I probably like on th this record, I sing. A little bit lower you know i'm kind of singing my natural voice like when i'm you know like this you know but i think i kind of that that whiny that that reedy voice i have is just something i kind of came up with to cut through the um the the band because monitors were so terrible up until the 90s um you, i like you that know, you call like, it whiny i can do I like your like your higher trebly <laughs> voice and you're like my whiny voice <laughs> I don't know. We both have different and, ways of thinking of your voice. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard it. I, I, it, it, yeah, my opinion of my voice changes daily. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, like on this on this record, I really wanted to make like actually. So, speaking of that documentary, Eric, Eric was a big catalyst for this record because we had started to do this. Like, we were going to think about in 
doing a podcast like five years ago and I wanted to call it like uh, 3am and I basically wanted to do like a song or a couple songs a week that were like very low key and like like I was living in Brooklyn at the time and I want and and like I had an apartment and uh, I just want like that thing you do when you're trying to sing a song to somebody at three in the morning, but you live in an apartment building. So you're kind of trying to keep it kind of quiet, you know? So I kind of, that was the catalyst for this. So that kind of how the record kind of came up, came about was like, I told David, like, stop, look, listen, think is the only one later that I really kind of, it's kind of like the outro and what would be playing over the credits, you know, it's, but everything else is kind of, I was like, David, I just really, I really, really want to pump the brakes on the delivery. I don't want to push too much. And I want to almost be like Kerouac spoke a word box set. I love that Kerouac box set, you know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to toy with it a little bit that way. So, well, you did it in this the- album. When it came out, I was like, all right, now I've heard him do every type of music. Like, <laughs> yeah. like literally, you know what I mean? Except, I, I yeah. really can't think of anything else. You, you pretty, I don't know. There might be some Bulgarian woman's choir is your next album because you're really, you know, well, running out of different styles to mix in. Um, I would you know, love to do a record like, you know, you know who Dead Can, there's a band called Dead Can Dance that oh, I yeah. just absolutely love. And I saw them and, and uh, I had a night off in Amsterdam and I was by myself and I, 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 they were playing in Den Haag and I got four throw seats, one ticket. And I went and saw them and it changed like i would I, I knew i have friends that love them and I, I had listened to them but so you see her live it was so beautiful this like arabian night kind of like and i i guess it was on game of thrones or something because there was a lot of it was sold out with a lot of really lot of, but it was so beautiful and it i would love to do a record like that someday i you know uh so that there might be one couple more that you might surprise you i love it you keep bringing them you keep bringing them you know <laughs> I, I want you know I, I do want to thank you today i want to get all your time i do want to say one last thing i do want to say when i know uh smoke when smoke came out you, you got you I, you gave yourself grief from it i thought it was a good album i just want to say i love I it, it a good album. i love okay. it now i i loved it when it came out i'm like it's still good yeah. there's some good songs on it yeah you know and i like your songwriting so i'm a lot more probably open to it and I like different things, but I thought, what are you going to do? Flood Radius is totally different. I mean, I like Smoke was totally, you got the riffs. You, it's how you space your songs and your lyrics apart. I don't know. I just, when it came out, it went dog. Uh, I was like, it was, I just it was say, a series. It was, uh, it was, it's real. It was a, in the midst of a series of a couple mental breakdowns. My, I had a mental breakdown that our producer, Jeff, was getting divorced and was having a breakdown. Uh, we were exhausted because we probably shouldn't have made that record because we had just got off the road after touring for almost three years or two years. Yeah. And then we went to Atlanta and I was getting divorced and I was living in a thing and my ex-wife was calling and harassing me. And it, it was, it was a really, really dark thing. But it, when you, when I'm, when you hear she doesn't want to go, there is no real more real primal scream shit happening in the world than that song doesn't want to go it's real i don't even know what i'm saying i'm just kind of channeling this crazy desperate you know uh you know 
don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I got my finger on the trigger. I got my back against the wall. You know, that's freaking real, man. That's yeah. not like, that's not some like, you know, suburban kid singing. That's the real, that's like closest thing to probably, you know, the probably the real, most real I've ever, an un, it's, it's, it's a 100% an uncalculated record. It is so honest and, and frustrating. I mean, I'm, Chris Blackwell from Island Records, you know, the, the you know one of my favorite producers and one of my favorite people, he came and I laid out a line, I berated him like I don't know why, I was screaming at him about how Island Records didn't know who we were and we were never like, you know, it's like we're like the accidental bastard child of Island Records and you got you know I see Tone Loke and Melissa Etheridge things everywhere and you you know we don't get any you know we're not in rolling stone and we're not in spin and we're no one gives a fuck about us and i was like and it's because you guys don't you guys don't you know i was screaming at him and i don't and i'm i still feel terrible about it to this day because it was he's probably sitting there going like what what is he talking about? It had, it had nothing, it had nothing to do with it, right? Five record, I just gave him enough more money to make five freaking albums. What he does with it is his, you know, he's probably looking at me like, what an asshole. And I, I still feel like an asshole. And every time someone says, I'm going to see Chris Blackwell, I say, please apologize to him for me. I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. I'm so, oh, I was so having funny. a bad day. My wife had, my ex That's what it sounds like berated me, and I was probably drunk, and I was suffering a cocaine hangover, and I'm so sorry. Please. So, oh God! What so do? You know, but it it yeah. was a, a, a good album to me when it first came out. I think the, I think the market changed. I think that's when rock started to dip, and it was the beginning of the '90s, and the rock industry yeah. just fell right out. It was, I think, yeah. And I was, it, I was, pissed it was right off in there. My, and I was yeah. pissed off at my band. I was pissed off at, at, at my band for like, you know, teasing their hair and like doing these rock videos and shit. And I was like, I fucking told you guys we weren't like everybody's trying to fit in with Cinderella and Poison and all this big rock, all the big rock radio. And I, I didn't want to fucking go there, man. I don't have, you know. And then Nirvana came and said, everybody with teased hair, you're done. Right, it's and they had a good five, good five no years, way. and everybody was gone with that too. And then, and yeah. then look what happened after grunge went. What happened in the music scene? It got weird. Music yeah. got weird for a while, didn't it? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> there were some bikes that came out then. Oh, I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, but, but you guys could have. No. I think and that's the problem. Is you guys could have translated over, over the rock, into the grunge. Well, you kind of could have stayed your own ground. You weren't really my any last. My last hope is that people that are in their that are like nine years old right now will discover us in 14 years. <laughs> well, I think so. You know, when they're like 27, they'll be like, Hey man, did you ever hear driver crying? It's like, no, it's like, man, you know, they have like 21 albums out. It's like, really? It's like, yeah. And they're, most of them are not bad. No, they're good. I think you, you'll be the, you'll be the Bob Dylan of their generation is what it is. <laughs> oh, uh <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to I'll, I'll be happy to be the Leo Sayer of their I don't I'm good whatever. <laughs> that was a great reference. Oh my god, I'm good, awesome. I'm good with that. I love you. Know, what the hell? I know. Well, That's we probably had, we're gonna continue our travels out to Dallas. 
I know. Uh, I want to thank you very much. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me, man. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the time. People check them out and check out the links. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.